Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Shaw. And today we have Doug Sweeney with us. Doug, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Tamara. I'm, I'm honored to be here today. I truly am. I just want to, I want to suit your business as best as I can and fit the criteria to the subject. Yes, this is going to be phenomenal. Uh, Doug and I connected on Podmatch, which has been so wonderful uh, in finding guests and really matching me with just some fantastic people. And today will be no different good people. We have Doug here. He has a website called BreakingBondageFromAddiction.com. So, uh, Doug, let us know a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, the best thing for me to do is just kind of go back to the beginning of how my addiction was began and how it carried out for way too many years. Uh, so in my young life, I grew up with uh, both parents. I had two brothers and both parents. Um, I had a very angry, upset dad who was like walking on eggshells around all my childhood. And so through that process um, as a child, I couldn't analyze the situation uh, with articulate mindset to understand why I was never good enough. I was always in the way, why I just needed to shut up and not talk or anything that I did was dysfunctional or not done correct. So these things always just stacked up inside of me as far as my worth and how I felt about that. And on top of all that, there was a lot of physical abuse. Emotional abuse was strong and equally as harsh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the physical abuse was always there. Um, it was on myself. Uh, I was the oldest of three boys. So it was on me a little bit more than them because I was in charge of them. And it was with my mother way, way too often. And my mother was a great mother. She was a, a very loving mother. So I had. A father who was angry, abusive, and who consumed alcohol every day of the week for the entire decade of the 80s, all the way up into the early 90s, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much my whole life, all my life. So that's what I saw as normal, and it was it was very hard. It was very uh, it was unable to be processed correctly. So as, like I said, I internalized so much of the message that I always heard that I was worthless. And so I just kept to myself. I didn't, I was afraid to collaborate and make friends. And I, until I was probably 13, 12 or 13, I never even spoke to anyone in school or anything. I had marks that I had to cover up or, uh, 
I, I didn't want to feel any defeat that I was always told I would feel. So I didn't, I didn't reach out. And therefore, at age 12, I started to consume. I started stealing my father's beer. And I would wait till I got about three or four or five or six and then consume those. And instantaneously, it was the perfect coping mechanism for me. It, even though I, my very first use was uh, alone, not even with anybody, it, it somehow, it, it did this deceptive, twisted, evil opening up of freedom to me that made me realized that I was going to stick with this, but I was going to try to figure out how to do it and be a joyful drinker, a joyful drinker, someone who didn't fight and argue and become physically violent. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just, I never wanted to be like that. And, and, you know, I, in the big picture, I never was like that. Although my consumption became so erratic and out of control that it soon went into hard liquor and then it soon went into various other drugs. I did that for all of my young life. I, uh, you know, it, it ended up getting me in trouble. I'd get into car accidents, uh, possession of drugs. I did all the things that you can imagine. I got, I was on juvenile probation. I was in an adult rehab at age 17. The only juvenile in an inpatient rehab. Um, from there, it just escalated. And finally, I, you know, after I've been in the rehabs, after I've been in the hospitals from accidents, from alcohol poisoning, from so many of those, uh, symptoms that, you know, addiction takes you to, I finally, uh, came to a point of a true broken heart and, I got into an accident. Uh, I was dating a woman who we were arguing at night one night, and uh, I ended up going out with her ex-husband. He was not my friend. He wasn't my enemy, but he came by to see his son who was in our house. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went out. I got out just to get away from her. her. Him and I went out. We drank at a bar until it closed all night and I decided to take him home because he was, he came with me to the bar. So I figured I would take him home. Mm-hmm. That trip didn't succeed well. Uh, we had an accident, a one car accident, luckily or fortunately rather. Um, and he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't make it and I did big picture. Um, it was, it was very hard. Um, there's a lot that I haven't went through to get to this point, but this is the point that is essential to, to talk about on my conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, we were both ejected from the car, just know that from the beginning. So there was no, the car was gone. He, we, uh, we, I rolled the car, and on the first roll, when he was ejected, he was killed instantly. Um, I was ejected after they don't know how many rolls, but the car rolled endlessly until it wasn't even appearing look, to look like a car. 
Uh, I was careflighted to the hospital. I was in a coma and I didn't wake up until after he was buried. Mm. So the sad thing about this is, is that I didn't remember anything. Um, I, when I did wake up after the funeral was over and everything, my mother was there in the hospital and she is subtly, very smoothly trying to tell me how horrible this has ended. She has told me this already many times because this has already happened many times, unfortunately, about the accidents, not, not to the severity, but the accidents that I had been in mm-hmm. from drinking and driving. And, uh, so I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it because I, I didn't understand my, my conception of God. And I always had a God conscience. My, my conception of God was, there's no way I could be allowed to survive. And this man who is a father was not and hadn't been through a fraction of the opportunities and chances and over and overs that I had already been given. So I couldn't believe this. And I didn't believe it really at first for a long time. And so I was in the hospital for a couple months uh, healing up. I was I was pretty broken up. I was in a coma for a while, had a brain hemorrhage, and uh, broke a lot of bones, broke my pelvis, broke a lot of things. And so I was in the hospital for a couple months. And then you have to understand why I'm in the hospital. I'm constantly rehashing this possibility in my mind that why, why, why would, why would this happen? Why would he be taken and not me? If you knew how many DUIs I've already had, if you knew how many chances at alcohol poisoning or drug overdose or in and out of jail already, or how many chances I had been given. And I did not understand how this man who was three years older than me had a son, never had a fraction of the chances that I had been given. I mean, he wasn't the a top role model civilian in, in life, but he was, he had never been to prison. I had. He had never, you know, been resuscitated or brought back from life. I had. I, he had never, he had never been given near the amount of grace that my life had been given. Mm-hmm. And so I could not fathom what kind of God this was that was running things. So and you had a lot of survival guilt. I did. And had to come to terms with God to say, what is this about? Right. I mm. did. So I did. you were in the hospital for months. And Almost two months. Oh, my goodness. So I know you had the conversation, you know, like you said, with your mom and your, your family. You had gone through this several times. But how did you handle this with your girlfriend and her son? Um, I didn't. There was no handling of it. She... Um, she was someone I was already in the process of breaking away from. I, I, she was a really, we, we had not been together more than 10 months. She was, uh, someone who should have never been, but I, I was in love with her kids. She had a daughter and a son. 
and I was in love with her kids. I didn't have kids of my own, so I wanted to be there for them. They had had broken up families and different fathers and everything, and I was there for them pretty much. So nothing happened after that. After this mm-hmm. accident, that was completely severed. I never saw them again. I never had no connection or contact. Okay. But after the hospital, I was let out of the hospital a couple weeks before Christmas that year. And uh, I stayed with a brother. And another thing that reinforced the battle that I'm going over about remembering and not remembering and understanding whether or not I was actually the actual operator of the vehicle was that they let me out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. There was no there was no charges brought to me at, at that time, and they had two months almost. So it kind of helped reinforce that maybe I wasn't the driver. Mm-hmm. But but something else, the me side of me was thinking that I know who I am, I know my will, and nobody was driving my car at all, ever. And if you didn't want to ride with me, that was fine. I didn't make anybody ride with me, but nobody was driving my car. And I knew that side of me. So why did they let me out if I, if this is so, you know, certain that I, that I am the driver? So they let me out. I was out for about three months and I was very, I was healing. I was supposed to go to physical therapy. I never did. I just, I laid in a, a scared, emotional downward spiral of how could this happen? How could this happen? What's going to happen to me? And then it was about three months. It was not quite, but almost three months after getting out of the hospital, they had an indictment on me for uh, ag- or aggravated vehicular homicide. So there it was. The, the, the evidence had proved enough that I was the operator and whether or not I remembered it, that wasn't the case. I had to face it. Mm. So they took me to jail and I went to jail and I was in there for a couple of weeks. And, um, I did not know how to deal with this. I was going to court for arraignments. It was a long drawn out process. I came back one day from an arraignment in court. And I was in the dorm, and the dorm was chaos, reckless, a bunch of arguing, loudness, TV blaring, all this nonsense that I never have kindled to whatsoever. It's just not my makeup. It never has been. No matter how many times I've been in, it's it's never been something that I gravitate to. So a Bible study was offered to go to. uh, One of the officers came by the dorm and asked if anyone wanted to go to a Bible study. I chimed right in and I, I said, to get out of this, uh, this chaos and this yeah. noise, I'm going. And so yeah. I did. I went to this Bible study. This is about an hour, an hour and a half. And I came back from the Bible study back into the dorm. The officers take you from to there and back. And uh, as I had come back, mail had already been passed out. And I had gotten, gotten a letter. Wasn't expecting a letter by no means, but I got a letter and this letter was from the victim of my car accident, his mother. This woman 
she tells me in this letter, and you, you have to understand, and I, I kind of forgot to go through this before I tell you about the letter, but the biggest thing from the time I woke up in the hospital until especially those three months that I was released until they arrested me, I could not fathom how I could be forgivable at that point. I I had a wrong view of what God is, a big tactical God, a God with laws and rules and woe to you if you break them. So my whole view was was misappropriated entirely. And so I had no idea how I could be forgivable because I kept reminiscing about how much I had done. You know, I have never killed nobody. I never, I never, I had never abused anybody or, or had a sex crime. I never raped. Mm -hmm. I never did any of that stuff, but sin is sin. And I had done a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and I had turned down God's spirit over and over through the breakfast of my life. Mm And so I could not imagine forgiveness for me until I opened her letter and she wrote in the most mysterious, perfect way that came through the forgiveness of Christ that she said, she stated in that letter that she had stood with my mother at the foot of my bed in ICU after being dropped off from care flight and prayed for my survival, knowing that an hour and a half earlier in the wee hours of the morning at 2.37 a.m. that her son, her only son, had passed because of me driving drunk with him. His choice to ride with me, but still, she instantly, that's instantaneous forgiveness to me. And she said it in a way that it was an answer from God himself. It was his answer to me showing that, yes, even now, you are forgivable, especially now. And so I, I, I cried, but I was, my heart did, you know, somersaults. Uh, I, I was elated because I couldn't believe in forgiveness at that point that I, my drinking and my addiction had taken me that far. And then how could I be that forgivable? How could I be forgivable at all? But he did it. And he worked through her to do it. And so at that point, I made a decision that I knew that if I am guilty of this and the evidence is strong enough for a grand jury to indict me, that I'm going to prison. I've already been in prison. I've already been in the county jail umpteen times. My record is definitely taking me back with this. So I made a decision after realizing that, you know, God showed me the forgiveness that I was going to prison with the Bible to learn and know him and build relationship with him. No matter what the time allotted was given to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I just, I started to, you know, I, I, I ended up going, um, when, when the trial finally came and the court hearings were in presence and in place, I, uh, the, the charge became, it was started out as an F2 and I faced eight years and it ended up dropping down to an F3. And then I faced five years and I got four. And so I even had his mother 
I mean, she was on the plaintiff side, but she was even in my corner as far as like, she didn't, she did not stand up and point me down or nothing. She was, she, you know, cause she knew, she knew the whole story and she knew that she knew that I had decided by that time in court that I had decided I was going to change my life. And I did. And I got four years. I went in to a much higher security status because of a the class of a, of the offense that was. Mm-hmm. And in fact, even that was better. It was even better that I went into a close security prison because it was a lot less short timers, a lot less, uh, childish, uh, play and, 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 and immaturity of, you know, people who just claimed that they caught their case instead of committed their case and things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so I was in there with people, most of the people never getting out. It was more serious. It was more, it was more dangerous in some aspects, but it was, but it was all about how you carried yourself. And I walked with God the entire time. My very first teaching that he brought me to when he showed me forgiveness, the first month after being in there, probably four to six weeks after being in there, he showed me that I had to forgive. And I had no one to forgive but just one person. And that was my father. And when he showed me that, and, and I can't, I can't tell you, I can't, ex- I can't uh, tangibly explain how, how he showed me that, but he showed me that. He showed my heart that. But when he showed me that, that's when I seen how big and how personable God was. This was back in the fall of 04. And there was about six and a half billion people in the world at that time. And he knew me. He was, he was leading me. He was instructing me. And there was a reason why he wanted me to forgive my dad, not because my dad deserved it by no stretch of the imagination. He needed me to forgive my dad so he could have me ready to be freer and walk with him more because I was, that out. If you I was the one captive. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. So, yeah. And so that's where, and that was, that was, it was beautiful that he did that right after I, I mean, right in the beginning of my sentence, my term. So I, I, I got a, a really good job. I got the best job in the, you know, the camp that I was in and I had a system of routine. I've never been in the military, but I'm more military minded as far as structure and routine than, uh, than some of them even. But I, I had, had that job. I had my, my Bible study nightly and afternoon in between my lunch period and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had weekend chapel. I had outside prison ministries coming in. I had Jewish customs, Bible college. I had, I was, I was always indulging in the word of God. And, and, and all I wanted was to, you know, all I prayed for while I was in there was to just be good and pleasing to him when I got out and and to be free. You know what I mean? And I, I, I did want a wife and I did want a child. Those things never happened, and those were learning experiences too. But uh, 
nonetheless, it was, it was in, that was my freest time in life was when I was in that penitentiary. I had never been anywhere in all those years before where I was more free than in a close security prison with God. And it was because he was enlightening me and teaching me and bringing me up spiritually. That was your training time. It was training time. You said it exactly. Perfectly said. Yeah, That's good. So... Did you do the whole four years or? I did. Yeah, I did the whole four years. And I had, when they arrested me, I had, uh, I had a, a long carried over additional charge. So it was actually four years and 10 months okay. that I did. And I was let out at one of the hardest times ever. It was in the middle of our recession mm-hmm. back in uh, December of 08. And mm-hmm. so it was difficult, but it was, that also was a learning experience, and I had to change my whole career path. I had to, uh, you know, I've, I've never worked food, but I got into restaurant, and then I ended up loving food <laughs> and uh, working food for almost 10 years after that. So awesome. um, there was there was a learning experience in everything in the path that he's taken me in. Absolutely. That's how yeah. it works. So... You know, when it comes to addiction, um, you know, it's the hard times that can raise that urge or that hunger for whatever your um, choice is. So when you got out and we were in a recession and, you know, of course, there's some difficulties that come from just coming out of prison. How did you handle those cravings or did you have any? How did that work? So I was, um, I knew, I knew how I operated in the previous times in my life. So I, I had every reason to prepare myself throughout the whole term I was doing. And I did that. Um, I made a decision early in the beginning of my term that when I, when I did get out, I was not going to, uh, oblige myself with the resources of anybody that I knew. I wasn't going to take on any extra hands of help or anything. I was going to do this independently. And so I set up, uh, I came out with the setup of uh, a halfway house called Salvation Army. And it was a Christian organization. And they help you, uh, they help, I had, and plus I had to get out on parole for the new law and stuff. I had, I still had at least one to three years of parole. And so they help you get set up with that and they house you. And they, if, if you are, if your parole officer, you know, sees that you need to go to meetings and things like that, then, then you, you follow all the guidelines and all the process of rules. But it was, it, it enabled me to strengthen myself and walk with God throughout every step of that too. And the Salvation Army house that I went to was a phase program type thing. So when you, when you go in, you go through the phases of orientation and you are making your regular appointments to the parole officer and you're going to the meetings and getting the signatures and doing all the, all the paperwork that needs to be done. And, but on top of that, I immediately, uh, and you had the allowance and the resource to go and find a church 
And the, the community that I was in was definitely unfamiliar. It was big city life. And so I, it was, it was definitely odd and different, but I still did it. I still went and I got a church and it was a church that loved Jesus Christ and saw, you know, salvation as by faith and through faith and unmerited grace all the way. And so I conjoined myself to the church. I built a system of fellowship brothers while in the Salvation Army, not all of them. In fact, most of them weren't, but the ones who were were the ones who I collaborated with and fed, fed off of, you know what I mean? To keep myself healthy. Within a month and a half, I had two jobs, uh, one part-time, one full-time in the restaurant business. And, uh, after that, that was another phase. So then after that, I worked towards the phase of looking for rental apartments or houses or whatever. And I, before four months had passed, I had been able to rent a half a house through the owner who shared her home and uh, let me uh, rent from her. And from there, it just kept growing. I just kept, and, and where, where it is for me is that I know how much I used. I know how much I drank and I know that I could not, nor did I not, nor did I ever really want to limit myself. I just wanted to, I wanted to, I, I, I was radical. I've never been lukewarm. I've always been hot or cold. And so as much as I drank is as much as I want to serve and see and be taught by the one who made me and delivered me. And I have, it's been a lot of years now, but I have never found this big aha moment to give back in the way that I have been given to. Or why, why did I survive all that I survived? That one accident I told you about was, there was probably three or four of them about like that. I've been ejected through almost every window of a vehicle. I've, you know, I have survived miraculous um things and so i got to a point in life through frugal uh saving and just wise spending that i became able to run across a team of christian entrepreneurs that enabled me and helped me to build a website and that's what i plan to do now as i said it's it's brand new it's just launched uh, the content is there, is here, not so much there, but I know what curriculum I'm going to use. And I, I just invite every and all adult men who believes or just thinks that the addiction might be overtaking their life. Yeah. So right now you have, and that website is breaking bondage from addiction and right. your audience is going to be men. That's your that's your audience. Right. And I think that's most important. Mm-hmm. I, I I completely agree because you know we need more healthy and strong men. You know, in the world, in order because you guys you're you're our leaders, right? Um, not saying you know it's nothing. I'm, I'm talking about when it comes to men and women. I'm not talking about right. women can't be leaders. I'm not going there at all. What I'm I saying, know. 
I totally hear you. I just want to make sure that the audience understands that, you know, our leaders, you know, we're supposed to be um, led by men. And somebody may, uh, this is my opinion. Somebody may disagree with me. Um, But I understand that my father is, he was the leader of our house. You know, my father, God, is the leader over my life. So I think... For me, it is very important that there are strong men in the world. So for you to be able to have this program out, and, and I just want to also say to you that all of those whys, why, 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 this is why. You went through all of those things. You survived all of those accidents, you know, episodes, whatever you want, you know, the alcoholism, all of that to be at this point, because in order to speak a thing, you have to go through a thing, right? So I think that it's beautiful that you were forgiven by the victim's mom. I am, I am praying and I'm pretty sure, but we just didn't speak on it, that you were able to forgive yourself. Yes, I had to. I had to. When I seen he forgive me, then there was no more room really to self-crucify myself. Don't get me wrong. That's one of the, uh, that's still one of the attributes from mostly from my young childhood development that I will still fall into at times. But immediately I'm convicted. Immediately I, I know that I'm a child of God. You know what I mean? I know what he's done for me. I know what the grace of God and and the payment that he gave for the cost of our sins, what he's done for me. So there's there's no more reason to, to self-crucify myself. There just isn't. Good. So when you forgave your dad, were you able to have a conversation with him? Or was that just within you? In the beginning, when God first let me know, let my heart know this, um, I, that's what I asked myself and I asked him in prayer. I was like, how, how are we going to do this? How am I supposed to do this? I believe you. And I know that your word says to do it, not because your word says to do it, but it tells us to forgive as we have been forgiven because there's true healing. He knows there's true healing and that's why it's in his word. And it's, and it's so much bigger than the, the phraseology that it's put in. It's just so much. And so I asked God, it's like, how am I going to do this? And in the beginning, he was, he confirmed to me that it was just in the beginning, this was that it was, it was well enough that my heart acknowledged that I had to do this. And then I would eventually work towards some kind of action step. And I did. I wrote him a letter and I called him. And of course, he at that time was like, forgive me of what? You know what I mean? But I, that was, that's just how lost he was. And so I looked past that. It, at first it was hard, but, um, I had, I had a team. I had a team of brothers, you know, other men who were in prison who gave their life to God too. And genuine, uh, you know, salvation seekers, um, that were walking according to the word and, more mature Christian men too than myself at that time. So I was, I was really 
I was, I was blessed with the fellowship. I was blessed with the guidance of how to interpret word and where to go and how to start and build a, a system of study and things. Mm-hmm. So I was, he walked with me so, so closely, so tightly. It was, I, I, I can't, you know, <laughs> the world we live in now is, is like so much, so unpleasant. And when I think to that time, it was, I was, I was even happier. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say I was happier then, but that was the most needed thing that I ever needed in my life. And it was so much more good came from that travesty. I still, to this day, this has been almost 20 years. I still to this day have contact with, uh, his, his mother, the victim's mother. That's beautiful. She's a be- she's a beautiful, you know, yeah. God got woman of God. So that's wonderful. So, do you have any programs that you're in? Like, do you go to meetings? Like, how, what do you do today? First of all, wait. How long have you been sober? I've been sober. I don't. You know, the program calls calls it by the year, the month, and the day, and I don't get hung up on that. I right. just yeah. I just talk about how free I am. But it's been many, many years now, many years. And so I'm glad you brought that up because the thing that I plan to do in my site is a lot different, uh, let's just say 180 degrees different than what Bill W. came up with in 1935, I think, or the early 30s or something. I believe, it's my belief, and I have this wrote down somewhere, I still haven't memorized it, but that anything that I do should not be a philosophy of success, or everything that I do is a philosophy of success not to be godless. I think our philosophy of success should be full of God, full of biblical principles and kingdom concepts. And I mean, he is our maker and I know very well what the program entails because I have been in inside, outside, backwards, frontwards, blindfolded, upside down and right side up, either by my own will or by the court's will. And I know it. I know it through and through. And I never succeeded until I saw my God and his forgiveness for me. And so I will, I am, the two principles that I want to start my site at with are identifying bondages. Identifying bondages. I, I define bondages as an enslavement. It's a mastery. It's something that keeps us bound and captive. Mine was shame. I was ashamed because I had to wear pants in the summertime to hide marks on my legs. I was ashamed because I was ridiculed and put down and I never did anything right. And I never was allowed to even talk or... So these were my bondages. These were the pain points that I soon reached out to that drink or that drug to suppress. And then, voila, addiction was created. The second principle, and the, these are the two first, and they're the, in my opinion, they're the two hardest, but I think they really have to be in the beginning, is what we just spent a lot of time on, the forgiveness. 
I firmly believe that there isn't an addict out there that is not harboring unforgiveness. And also probably most don't believe that they're forgivable. So I think those two facets must be fruitfully acknowledged and accepted that, that everyone is forgivable and that you must forgive. And it's not even for so much the other person, it's for themselves. For sure. Absolutely. You know, most of it, it comes, um, you know, with from childhood trauma. You know? Yeah. That's really a big part of bondage and, you know, the, the need for acceptance and, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. So I, you're definitely going in the right direction. Um, but you said it. You said it just right. It, most of the time it starts, it starts during the time that, that life is developing. You know what I mean? From zero to 18, you need to, it just needs to be pure love, uh, righteous discipline, uh, all the good things, all the things. I mean, that's the time right. that you're making someone. And that's why I love that you are working with men again, you know, because you don't see that out here a lot. You know, I've, I've done a lot of interviews with a lot of different people, but it's probably a handful of uh, men that are out here helping other men be healthy. Now, the, the ones that, like I told you before, I'll, I'll get you some of their names. I mean, they're powerful. It's powerful programs, wonderful brotherhoods. And I love that. That's why I definitely um, would love to see you all collaborate and do some things together. I look forward to that. Um, yes, it's it's wonderful. And I think it's beautiful that you all are willing to stand up and tell your story and not yeah. feel as though you have to stand in front of it in order for people to not see certain things that others may think make you weak when in all actuality it makes you strong. Like I right. said, you are you you went through the things that you went through because um, God knew that you could handle it. He knew right. that he could trust you with it. So you were worthy of going through it because you, you had what, you know, he planted in you in order to survive it. And so for you to take that and tell the world and help the world, I honor you. So thank you. Thank you, Tamala. That's beautifully said. And I just want to say, you know, I already know in the very forefront that it's not going to be for everybody. It's really not. All men are not the same. And, you know, some people are okay with the principles and the conduct of all the 12 steps and the program and stuff. And that's, you know, to each their own. But I promise one thing that I have already for the last nine months went through a whole bunch of reliving of my horrible, dirty life. And uh, I will do the same, but with with fervency, with every man that really wants to change and, 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 and not just change to, to quit drinking or to quit using drugs, but change their value system, their whole their whole attitude of be, what freedom is. God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free in him because that's, that's heaven on earth. 
freedom in him is heaven on earth. It really, really is. And it's I, 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 I plan, I just want to exhaust myself with, with doing that in the service of men. That's yes. my desire. You have decided to be that vessel. And that's so good. So wonderful. And I hope that you um, already know you are going to do wonderful things. When you let go and let God, you know, it's just, it's everything that it's supposed to be. And I'll say this to you. um, When I first started talking about codependency and, you know, people not really understanding what codependency is and all of that, I used to just pray because I, I did this not because it's what I wanted to do. I did it because it's what God planted and he told me. You have, and it's, it's funny because you, you are the same. You have, uh, basically trained for this your whole life, right? And if everywhere you go, if you only touch one person, it is okay. Yeah. So this podcast is in 75 countries. And I tell you that if you only touch one person, you've done your job. So don't worry. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I know that, and it's so good to never stop hearing it. You know what I mean? Yes, for sure. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. But I would love for you to um, I ask all of my guests, if you could tell the audience one thing, what would that one thing be? My one thing is usually a hundred and one things, but uh, I believe I've already said it is that when we when we acknowledge with our heart and our spirit the forgiveness that God, you know, placed on His Son Jesus, and the cost that that was for our ways, then. All we can do is just be in awe. All we can do is just want more of him, more of him and his will, more to do on his behalf, to be that vessel. And therefore, I, I just, I just implore everyone to exercise the faith that everyone has. Everyone has faith. Let us exercise it in the appropriate way. Excellent. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tamara. You are more than welcome. And audience, as I always tell you, I thank you for choosing the Codependent Me podcast because there's tons out there, but you chose this one and I thank you. And I'd like to tell you that you matter and your story matters. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Bye. We just want to let you know that we appreciate your time and your support. It absolutely means the world to us. And as I've said in the past, if you'd like to give to our podcast, uh, we have a program on Patreon. So if you'd like to support us, you can go on www.patreon.com forward slash the codependent me podcast. Again, that's www.patreon.com forward slash the codependent me podcast. We have some really cool subscriptions, um, 
anything from a dollar, I think up to $50. You can get a bunch of freebies. You get shout outs on the podcast. We really appreciate you. So thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me. And check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.